Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 177 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Spiritual Resilience, an interview with Misty Rangel. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Zabatello. Now, this is a really interesting podcast because it gives us some insight into resilience. And we know that Lyme disease attacks you physically. We know that Lyme disease attacks you spiritually. And we know that Lyme disease attacks you emotionally. But if you are resilient, meaning you are further along in your journey on one of these prongs, it will shorten your battle with Lyme disease. So, Rich, Misty was diagnosed less than a year ago and has only been treating for less than a year. But a combination of her spiritual health, right frequency technology, herbals, and homeopathic remedies have allowed her to make great success over the past year. Misty made a comment that really stuck with me throughout this podcast episode, which was, Lyme thought it could shut me up, but it couldn't. So Matt, we've learned from Dr. Rawls, for example, that cellular resilience will help you in your battle with Lyme disease. And now we're learning from Misty that spiritual resilience will also help you in your battle. So without further ado, spiritual resilience with Misty Rangel. Hey, Misty, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, we're really excited to have you. We've been big fans of yours for a long, long time. We've been following you on social media, and now we finally have achieved the goal of getting you on the podcast. So, Missy, share with us and our listeners where you're calling in from. I am from Fresno, California. And uh, have you been a California gal your whole life, or is it a recent, um, recent move for you? Yeah, I've been here about uh, four years, and I'm originally from the Stockton, Modesto, Central Cali area. So a uh, another part of California, but nonetheless a California gal your whole life. Oh, yeah. So talk to us about what it was like growing up in California during your childhood. Oh, gosh, it was nice. Uh, we are known as like very down home people, very open people. It's funny because whenever I go travel anywhere, if anybody knows about the Central Valley Cali people, we're always very known as warm, very welcoming people. And that's what I love about that area. Um, People always love visiting and coming back, even if they're from Vegas or the East Coast. So it's a good area to be from. It is because here on the East Coast, not only do we have a lot of Lyme disease, we're also really cranky. So it's really nice to have... (laughs) Nice, friendly people from Central Cali on our uh, on our podcast. So, so Misty, talk to us about what types of things you were pursuing during your childhood. Meaning, you know, what what did you envision for yourself? So, when I was younger, I wanted to be a star. Like, I loved dancing. I loved acting. I was well on my way to doing that. Um, I danced from the young age of like three years old. I was always into, involved in stuff like that. And then when I you know, graduated high school, I, I pursued that um, full time also. And it was just something that I enjoyed doing. Um, it came naturally to me. And I, I wanted to pursue that in a, in a professional environment. So, and I want to talk to you about the entertainment industry in a minute, but let's focus on the education that you received prior to graduating from high school. Did you learn anything about ticks or Lyme disease during your childhood? Was this something that was on your radar at all? No. Um, well, my dad found a dog when I was younger and he was covered in ticks. Um, we figured that he got it from the field or something like that, but we never heard anything about Lyme disease. That just wasn't in our, like, we, we never had any knowledge of that whatsoever. So when your when your dad found the dog that was covered in ticks, what did you come to learn about ticks? And did you come to believe that those ticks that were on that dog could somehow cause you to suffer some health risks? I didn't even know that it could affect me. I just knew that they were gross. <laughs> you know, they're these big, gray, nasty things that were sucking the blood off of a dog. I never even thought 
that it could affect me in some way. And did your parents understand, for example, that perhaps this was something that could endanger their health and their child's health? Was this just sort of an experience that you have a general recollection of, but didn't really take anything from? No, I mean, it's just something that I remember. Um, and it was never even mentioned to me like, hey, don't get the tick on you um, or don't get the tick on ourselves when we were removing the ticks. Like it's, it was never mentioned to me. I don't think they had any form of information like that. All right. So let's talk about, um, you know, your, your movement into the entertainment industry. It was your dream to become an entertainer and you graduate from high school and you now begin to move into the entertainment industry. Talk to us about what types of things you were doing to pursue your dream in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So the Bay Area is super close to me, um, San Francisco. So I would go on auditions in the city. And then I would also, um, I also pursued the nightclub industry. It was very easy for me to network in that area, in that field. And so I was a go-go dancer for about 10 years. And it was through that, that I had other um, opportunities come up. I was touring with a band called Moonshine Bandits for a while and they became like a second family to me. And it was just like an awesome experience. I would do music videos and just music festivals, which, is, which are huge now. Um, and I enjoyed it very much. I never had any bad experiences. I met some incredible people on that journey. And to this day, they're still my friends, so. So let's talk about how that journey started to be I don't know, delayed or impeded by some health issues that started to surface for you. When did your health issues first begin to surface? Yeah, so I was in my mid 20s when I started to feel sick. And I noticed the difference when I couldn't perform anymore. And that was huge for me because I mean, I could go eight hours straight uh, with a routine or, you know, practicing in a studio and stuff like that. And I started to notice that my body would just get exhausted afterwards. And that wasn't normal, especially being a thriving mid 20 year old. You just, you have, you're supposed to have all, all this energy and to not do those things physically that I was able to do uh, previously, that was a red flag for me. So now I'm, I'm sure during the course of your life, there were times when you were tired. Can you distinguish the fatigue that you are feeling now in your mid twenties versus having been tired in the past when you sort of worked too hard? Oh yeah. There would be times where I would sleep um, a good 12 hours and still feel exhausted. And that's just not normal. And even if I drank a, a cup of coffee, it would not fix my level of fatigue. So how did, how did your symptoms develop and how did the fatigue in particular impact your ability to continue on your pursuits of your dream to become a, an entertainment professional? Yeah, so I, I quickly realized that um, doing anything physical for me was just not even an option. And so because of my realization that I knew I was getting sick and it was very early on, like I knew something was wrong, I had to change careers. And so I decided in my mid twenties to go back to school because I figured if it was less physically demanding, I would have a chance of being financially stable. And so I made that decision very early on, um, luckily, and I was pursuing um, a career in English studies. I wanted to become a teacher and hopefully have that financial stability. Now, how did your developing symptoms impact your ability to perform in school? Oh my goodness. So I had 
a lot of infections developed throughout those years. And every time an infection would happen, I would have to cut back on my academics. And I would either be dealing with severe strep throat or pseudomonas infections, bronchitis, just different things developing to where I had to be laid up in bed for a very long time. And I couldn't take on the workload that was because that I had to take on with being a student. And um, I had to cut back on a lot of classes. And that's what took me a long time to get my associate's degree. So now, Missy, looking back at that period in your life, do you understand that your immune system had been compromised and you were just picking up bug after bug after bug and getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and it was interfering with your ability to pursue your educational goals? Oh, definitely. So talk to us about when you first started seeing doctors, what type of diagnosis you were getting from the earliest period of time, which you now know to be the beginning of your Lyme disease. Um, so I started seeing doctors early on, but it wasn't for Lyme. I was tested for everything else under the sun, but Lyme. And, um, I mean, they, it was never even mentioned to me until years later. I mean, they would test me for things like Cushing's disease and breast cancer and just so many different things, but Lyme was never mentioned once when it came to these doctors. So how many different doctors did you see before your diagnosis and what type of diagnosis did you receive from these various doctors for these symptoms that first removed you from pursuing your dreams in the entertainment industry and then were now interfering with your ability to complete your education? Yeah, I'd say about 20 doctors. Um, and that's including people I'd seen in the ER and, and specialists. So, um, so talk to us about you know, the different types of medical professionals you saw, why you saw them and what they were diagnosing you with other than Lyme disease. Yeah, so I saw an endocrinologist. I saw um, an ENT. Um, I saw, oh gosh, I don't even remember all of the specialists to be honest. There was just so many. And um, I was diagnosed with things like hypoglycemia, severe migraines, um, endometriosis, just so many different chronic illnesses, um, but never found the underlying causes to why these things were happening. Now, while you were going to all of these doctors, was there anyone who ever suggested that you were suffering from mental illness or from some issue other than being physically ill? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would go into these doctor's offices sometimes and they would ask me how it was at home, if I lived in a healthy environment. And, and an emotionally stable environment and that type of thing. And, and if you know me personally, I'm a very bubbly person, very outgoing, very happy. It, take, it takes a lot for me to um, become distraught. And so, um, I, I mean, at the time, I, I feel like I was maybe depressed and, and kind of like, but I was frustrated at the fact of my physical um, state. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, going down the deep end mentally. And, that, and that's, that for me, I feel like is a miracle. Well, but Missy, there, there is a big difference between being mentally ill and having symptoms that are generated by the mental illness and being sad or depressed as a result of all the loss that you were suffering first yeah. for, on your career path and then on your educational path. So um, tell us how you felt when doctors were telling you that were implying to you that you were really emotionally unhealthy rather than physically unhealthy? I felt invisible. 
And I felt like I wasn't being listened to. And that's a hard thing. That's probably one of my biggest pet peeves is, is, is not being listened to. And as a patient, um, you're kind of in a very uh, vulnerable situation. And um, you're kind of at a, at a disadvantage because, you know, they're supposed to be the expert and they know best. And, you know, what do you know? And, you know, you're supposed to be listening to them and, and their advice. And um, it was very hard to hear that. So do you feel differently about doctors now after you've been on this 20 doctor carousel than you did before? And how do you feel differently if you do? Unfortunately, I do. Um, I have less trust in, in the medical field. I really do. And, and that's hard to say because I, I do admire their hard work. And, and there are a lot of good doctors out there. Um, but the majority of them, when it comes to Lyme disease, I hate to say that I don't have the the trust that I used to. So do you think, and you're suggesting that you're sort of sad about having a different perspective on doctors. Do you think it's possible that you actually have a healthier relationship with doctors now because you're not just handing your health over to someone else, but you're now responsible for your own health and you're now controlling the doctors in the way that you interact with doctors. So you think maybe you had an unhealthy relationship in the past and Lyme disease has now given you a, a more healthy perspective on your relationship with doctors? Yeah, I, I can see that because it's, it's more, I feel very empowered now that I know what I know. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, I give people, I mean, I'm not an expert either and on my journey, but I have helped a few people along on theirs and, and that feels very great um, to be able to do. So Missy, let's talk about how you were facing social issues during this time when you were on your diagnostic journey, meaning you're going through all of these professional challenges and these educational challenges. How is this affecting you socially? Uh, I was so isolated. I felt very alone. I didn't tell my friends for the longest time what was going on. And I even what they call ghost. I went ghost for a while. And a lot of people were wondering, you know, what happened? And um, my best friend of 14 years, I finally exposed the truth to her through some pictures. And she was just like, oh my gosh, Misty, why didn't you tell me? And she was very shocked to see what was going on with my body. Cause I mean, I had a lot of physical changes going on and it just wasn't me. And um, it, was, it was very hard to kind of expose the truth of what was going on. So why was Lyme disease so isolating in your journey? Meaning why were you ghosting or being ghosted? Give us some insight into that. Um, well, for one at, at that point, point I didn't really know it was Lyme disease at the time um and then of course later on in my journey it did get more isolating because no one really understands what you're going through um but I, I think it's because there there isn't that um recognition either in other people of what it is that you're right, going but, through but you're 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 feeling sick now let's talk about your pre-diagnostic pre-diagnostic journey you don't okay. know, you have Lyme disease and now you said you're you're now ghosting right you're not interacting with people anymore did you yeah. did you stop interacting with people because you felt misunderstood did you stop interacting with people because you felt that you couldn't contribute to relationships and therefore were not worthy of the love or the support you would get from friends why were you ghosting yeah I just didn't feel comfortable not knowing what was going on with me because I wanted to have that um, validation. I wanted to have that diagnosis to be like, well, this is why I look the way that I look, or this is what I, what is wrong with me. And to have those questions and I feel, I'm, 
not just Lyme patients, but I'm sure a lot of chronic illness patients in general get this. Well, what's wrong with you? You know, and why do you feel this way? And to have that diagnosis, to have that piece of paper to show this is what's wrong. I mean, it it's very um, empowering. It, it, it kind of shuts people up when it comes to those questions. Well, it does. But so were you isolating yourself because there were some changes in you in either the way you were thinking or the way you looked or the way you felt? Or were other people rejecting you and you being isolated by their rejection? I'm still not clear on why the ghosting took place. Okay. Um, well, I would say, oh, I'm going to go into like family interactions when it comes to this. Okay. So at the time I didn't know what was going on, but I would feel very judged for my physical appearance. They would say, you know, and maybe you need to change your diet. Maybe you need to just sleep more. Well, maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to change that. And it was like, well, I'm doing all those things yet. I'm still sick and we don't know why. And so there wasn't um, a factor of support in the beginning. It was more so um, unsolicited advice that I just didn't need at the time. And so it, I took it upon myself to kind of take myself out of that environment and create something that was going to help me rather than make me feel um, not as supported. So talk to us about how you would like to have been treated by your family members who seemed to be well-intentioned and wanting to help, but, but were also hurting you at the same time. So if you were to give advice to family members of people who are suffering from chronic illness, how would you recommend that they show their love and support without being judgmental or sort of bringing the, the, the sick person further down the rabbit hole of, of their illness? Yeah, I think there needs to be an element of belief from the beginning. There should be no question and there should be an attempt to understand what that person is feeling, um, regardless if they see the sickness or not. Um, I think it, it takes a lot from the person on the outside to kind of experience and put themselves in your shoes because they have absolutely no idea. And, and it is, I, I understand it's a lot to ask somebody to do. Um, but I think as a loved one to see someone suffering, you kind of need to take it upon yourself to be like, okay, something is seriously wrong. I've known this person since they were a child. There's no way that they would want to be in this position. And um, I think that needs to be uh, a, a factor and, and it needs to be in their mindset when it comes to chronic illness. So one of our past guests, her name is Max Noir, said that one of the most powerful gifts we can give to our families when we're going through a chronic journey is self-advocation, that we need to advocate for ourselves so that we can let people know what we need and then they will then understand what our needs are and that will allow us to have a better relationship. Talk to us about what advocacy you did for yourself and whether or not you would do it differently now that you're on the other side of that portion of your journey. As far as after my diagnosis or before? Before your diagnosis, you're having your challenges with your family asking you about why you're not sleeping enough or eating properly. And they're going through all these other things. And it's almost like you're getting another cut and another cut. Another cut is becoming more and more painful and you're getting sicker and sicker and sicker and more stress when you needed less stress, right? Is there something yeah. you could have done to advocate for yourself in a way that would have been a gift to them and a gift to you so that you would not have found yourself going down that, that, that tunnel? Honestly, I feel like I should have shared my journey more with them in the beginning. <laughs> Maybe like the stuff I was finding medically, um, 
maybe have them come with me on some of these doctor's appointments to kind of see what I was experiencing firsthand. Um, because they, they too have a lot of faith in the medical in the medical field. And I feel like that could have been something that I, I could have opened up a little bit more. So culturally, you were raised to be respectful of doctors and your family respected doctors and you respected doctors. And that was a part of your family culture. And that was another one of the challenges that you were facing with your family because they had so much respect for doctors. They were doubting whether or not you were really sick. Yeah, at, at, at some points, yes. I mean, my dad had thyroid cancer and he had a brain tumor on his pituitary gland. And so he has a huge, huge you know, respect for, you know, the medical community and, and, and as do I, you know, I still do. But again, going through this journey, it's definitely changed my perspective. Yeah. So talk to us about whether or not um, this portion of your journey, your pre-diagnostic journey was um, having an impact on your intimate relationships. Were you, were you having intimate relationships and was the, was the, the developing illness and lack of diagnosis impacting your intimate relationships? Yeah. Um, so I'll go into my boyfriend's journey with, uh, with me. Um, we are practicing Catholics. So uh, we were thankfully waiting till marriage uh, to become intimate. I feel like it saved him in a way because we do know now that, you know, Lyme disease is, is possibly sexually transmitted. That's now a thing. And um, absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> and also congenital Lyme. So we never thankfully got pregnant on our journey and we're still waiting for me to get into remission so that we can hopefully one day start a family. And, um, but this journey has taken us very long to get to that altar because of my sickness. And, um, that's kind of a hard thing to, to deal with. I'm thankful to have a partner who's willing to go through this journey with me, who has been with me from the beginning and never questioned it. Um, it's very, faithful in our faith. And we knew one day we would get that answer and we did. And, um, yeah, we're just hoping to get to that point. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to. So Thank let's, you. let's talk about getting to that point. So your goal was to get a diagnosis and you finally get a diagnosis. When yeah. and how did you get your Lyme disease diagnosis? So that's an interesting story. Um, I was following a Catholic influencer at the time on Instagram and she disclosed the fact that she has Lyme disease and a lot of her symptoms matched up with mine. And at that point I was just completely done. Like I was just, I had no, I, I just figured at that point I was going to live the rest of my life in complete agony and I just had to accept it. Um, but I, I was very um, intrigued with this disease and it was kind of like one that I'd never been tested for. I know that for a fact. And I thought maybe it was lupus also. And, um, at the time I was seeing a homeopathic doctor and I brought my suspicion to her and it was like her aha moment because we were also dealing with mono and I was, I had seen her for like the past year and I was doing really, really well in the supplements and things she had put me on. And it, I was like her one patient to where I wasn't eating something. And it was very odd for her. And, um, the, the thing is she was very familiar with Lyme because her mom had Lyme disease is actually the thing that she got into the field for. Um, but because I was doing so well in the beginning, it never, clicked until I started to spiral. And thank God I did, because then we found the cause. And um, 
yeah, she was about 100% sure at that point that I had had Lyme disease. And it was kind of a mixture between my brain and her brain. And we became a team throughout this journey. And um, I thank God every day that I was following this woman who was willing to share her journey and it inspired me to share mine as well. So Missy, talk to us more about your symptomology up until your diagnosis. So we know many people can experience different types of symptoms. So what, what were some of the more severe symptoms you were experiencing that re- you really couldn't make heads or tails of? Yeah, so I was gaining a substantial amount of weight um, out of nowhere. And I was on a very, very strict diet when it came to food sensitivities. I couldn't have dairy. I couldn't have gluten. I couldn't have corn, mushrooms, pork. I mean, I you name it, I, I deleted it out of my diet. And um, I was gaining so much weight. I mean, it was ridiculous. I, I think I reached over to like 287 pounds or something like that. And I would have these, you know, stretch marks on my stomach, which later I found out was Bartonella related and um, just weird things that my skin started to change. I had um, hyperpigmentation underneath my armpit area. It was dark. It was scaly. It was scary because I didn't know what it was. Um, And then also I would be extremely tired all the time. Severe headaches. Those are probably the scariest ones because at the time I thought it was possibly a brain tumor. They did an MRI and they couldn't find anything. Um, And then of course, the fact that I would always get sick very, very easily. A flu season, I would be completely terrified of because I knew I would end up either in the hospital or sick in bed for a good three to four months. So um, yeah, those are some of the things that kind of developed. So once you converge on this conclusion that you have Lyme disease based on your research and your doctor's research and, and coming together and working as a team, what testing was done to confirm your suspicions? IgNX. That was the one that we did. Um, we didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of testing. For one, I don't have a whole lot of money. <laughs> I'm just a college student still. And um, we didn't want to have to do the expensive testing to kind of pinpoint the exact strain and all that. So we just needed to know that it was in my system and that was well enough for us. And did anything else pop on the hygienics test or did you look for any other co-infections aside from Lyme disease? Um, no, but based upon symptoms, we do know that it was Babesia and uh, Bartonella for sure. So now knowing that you have Lyme disease, Babesia and Bartonella, working with your doctor, what was your first step to treat these diseases? Right. So we went into what's called rife frequency and that's to my treatment to this day. Um, it's actually what got me off of my cane. Uh, there was a moment in time in my treatment where I did start to spiral. You start to hurt. you do, I mean, it's normal. Um, I was well aware that that was, that goes hand in hand with the journey. Um, but it was also confirmation that the treatment was working. And so I did have to walk with a cane for some time. Um, and through Rife, I got off of it and we're actually, um, we're attacking parasites through it now. And, um, it's now I'm now able to eat solids because there was a while where I was not able to eat solids on this journey. Um, but yeah, through my frequency, it's, it's been my, my most helpful form of treatment for sure. So what made you and your doctor decide to jump into Rife at first, rather than what most people do in general, which is go to antibiotic treatment? Yeah. So she's completely naturopath. Um, we never discussed antibiotics. She said, you're more than welcome to, you know, this is your journey. She pretty, she pretty much put this journey in my hands, which made me feel very confident in, in her treatment because most doctors, <laughs> you know, they're going to try to steer you one way or the other. And, um, I said, you know what, I, you've had 
plenty of experience with this before. I completely trust you. And um, I, I decided to just strictly stick to Rife. Um, we did do some homeopathic remedies and some herbs and supplements, but for the main part, it's been Rife Frequency. So Missy, talk to us more about Rife technology. We've heard about PEMF, we've heard about Amcoil, we've heard about Rife and, and, and different ways of using it. So what is Rife technology and how did you use it to help treat your Lyme disease? From my understanding, um, it uses radio frequencies, some classified as electromagnetic frequencies, and pretty much it sends a frequency through your body. It's non-invasive and it starts to destroy the target bacteria or virus that you're dealing with without destroying the structure of the surrounding cells. So it's non-invasive and I've had some really good results with it. Um, I know that it was invented by uh, Royal Rife. Um, he was a doctor, I believe, in the 1940s, and he even used it to help cancer patients back in the day. Uh, to this day, it's not known by normal doctors. They don't, they kind of just dismiss it, and there's that whole controversy surrounding it, of course. But um, I am now a huge believer in this machine. <laughs> So talk to us more about the first time you did a Rife treatment. You mentioned that you did Herx because you were killing off bacteria. So what was that like for you? And what were your thoughts when you did your first treatment? Yeah. So when I'm hooked up to the machine, I don't feel anything. Um, it's more so the aftermath and the die off. Um, yeah, there's really nothing to it. Uh, you just get hooked up to two pads underneath your collarbone and then two hooked up to your uh, bottoms of your feet. And you type in the number for which the frequency is going to attack the certain bacteria or virus that you're dealing with at the time. And um, yeah, I don't really have any too, too many like symptoms or any reactions to it at all. It's more so the die off afterwards, which when it comes to the Herxheimer's reaction, we have gotten those under control when it comes to ionic foot detoxing, we do hyperbaric oxygen therapy, um, and then also infrared sauna. And so we have monitored those very well. I've had minimal Herxheimer reactions, but when I've had them, oh man, those are epic. <laughs> so Missy, talk to us about where you got those frequencies to configure into this machine. Cause I know a lot of people are interested in Rife technology, but if somebody wanted to explore this on their own or with a doctor who wasn't as familiar with Rife technology, how do you know how to program the machine to the right frequency for you? So there's a book that coincides with the machine itself. Um, I believe the company provides that with, with you um, if you're interested in that. I'm not necessarily familiar with the company itself, but my doctor does have all that information for anybody who's interested in receiving that. So for those that are listening and are going to try Rife, how long after your first treatment or a treatment in general does it take before you actually start to herx? And what are some of those symptoms of herxing from a rice treatment so people can be familiar with what those are? So that depends on your body itself. Every individual that is going to receive this treatment is different. And so the longevity of the treatment is going to depend on you, your types of co-infections you may have or other underlying conditions you may have. It's just all in the individual. I mean, I'm, I'm just me. My, my situation could be completely different from another person. So I can't really disclose that and have like a textbook example of what that's going to look like. But for you personally, Misty, understanding that everybody's different, what, what symptoms did you experience during your Herx reactions that you then found tools to help you overcome? 
Okay, so when it comes to Hearst reaction, I describe it as an out-of-body experience, to be honest. Um, it's kind of like you're taken out of yourself. And at the time, I couldn't process people's words. It's very hard for me to speak. I couldn't even form a sentence. I could do things like water, food, um, I'm tired, just very simple sentences. I had to contain my, my own emotions and kind of center myself. And, and that's where prayer, I, I feel like comes in and, and knowing how to, you know, properly meditate and um, control those, those, uh, you know, emotional outbursts, because I know Lyme rage is a thing. I've experienced it. Um, and even um, I would um, shake uncontrollably. It's kind of, I don't know if it was a seizure-like experience or, or something like that. It was just very odd, very strange. You don't have control of your body and, and that's very frustrating, but this just takes over your entire being. So Macy, let's talk more about your faith and prayer during these hard times. So for people that, that meditate or for people that are more spiritual and, and want to use prayer, we often hear that because they're so cognitively impaired, that it's difficult for them to focus on meditation or prayer. So how were you able to overcome that when you were so cognitively impaired and you could barely get a, a word out to communicate? How were you able to still pray and gain relief through your faith? Yeah. So, I mean, I believe in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. That's just my belief. I understand that there's other you know, denominations, other beliefs out there. And honestly, I think that there's something bigger out there beyond us, beyond Lyme. And if you just grasp to that and you have that as your solid base, you can literally overcome. I mean, some people say it's mind over matter. No, this is even bigger than your own mind. And it literally takes a hold of you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful um, element to incorporate even in your everyday life. Because when you're on these journeys, when you're you're experiencing something that is is taking over you physically it, it literally takes you takes over you and it helps you through that journey um whether it's emotional mental physical um it, it's truly a helpful tool to have and i encourage anybody to kind of you know develop that in their own lives now let's go back to the tools you've learned that can be helpful to others whether they're herxing from a rife machine or herxing from any other treatment protocol in your experience personally, you mentioned you use an ionic foot bath, you use infrared sauna and hyperbaric oxygen therapy to help you overcome Herx reactions. So give us an idea of what symptom relief you gain from each of those therapies to overcome these, these severe symptoms. Yeah, so less, definitely less headaches. Um, and I was able to be more clear-minded. Um, I didn't have that congested feeling or I wasn't able to, you know, form a sentence, I would just feel very light afterwards um, and very like strong. My muscles would definitely become more um, strengthened after these treatments. Um, and I was able to battle um, things that came up like H. pylori and C. difficile. Um, those things were less intense when it came to um, those detox um, sessions. So let's get a little more specific here. So for the ionic foot bath, which is a very simple technique for people to do while they're sick, they can do while they're sitting down. What symptomology relief would you gain from that specific tool, the ionic foot bath? Definitely the clear minded. I, I couldn't, after I, when I would go into the office, I'd be like, oh my gosh, my head is just, it feels so fogged. Like I just can't form a sentence. Like what's wrong with me? And she's like, well, let's hook you up to the ionic detox. Let's see if it gets 
can get some of that diet because that's pretty much what's going on is, is your brain's being, you know, corroded by all this die off. And so it sucks it out of you, literally sucks it out of your feet and uh, takes all that gunk. And you can literally see it in the, in the bin. You can even smell it at sometimes it's disgusting, but it works. And then afterwards you're just like, Oh, I, you feel like you could breathe again. It's just like, you're, you're back in your own mind and it's, it's awesome. So it really helps remove the toxins and the die off from your body. And you can, you can actually tangibly see and touch the, yeah. the water. And I believe you can actually see a change in color as you're running through this foot bath. Correct. So you can actually see yeah. this stuff getting pulled out of your feet from your body. Right. Yes. It's pretty wild. So yeah. the, other, the other thing, the infrared sauna, some people have heat intolerances and are anxious to use an infrared sauna, but so many people have great benefit from it. So um, number one, did you ever experience heat intolerance in your journey? No, not at all. I mean, I live in the Central Valley, Kelly, so <laughs> it gets really hot here. And then as a follow-up to that, what benefits specifically did you receive from the infrared sauna to help you overcome a lot of your herxes and just your Lyme journey in general? Yeah, so I, I, I'm sure a lot of Lyme warriors experience that you kind of have to trick your body when it comes to detoxing because sometimes you'll get very used to one uh, one form of detox and then it won't work anymore. <laughs> so then you kind of have to trip it up a little bit. So we kind of flip-flopped from the ionic foot detoxing um, and then of course we would incorporate hyperbaric oxygen therapy and then infrared sauna. So we would bounce around um, just trying to get my just trying to get it all out of my body and more things. If I wasn't feeling those benefits again with the brain fog or the muscle weakness or anything like that, we would know to switch to the infrared sauna. So the last thing I want to talk to you about from a detox standpoint and, and what you use is the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And that can seem scary to a lot of people because in some cases they go into a pressurized tube and there's claustrophobia that can play a role. So, you know, talk to us about that piece, I guess, first, you know, was it scary to do your first dive in hyperbaric oxygen therapy? No, I was actually super excited about that. Like I don't get scared by small spaces at all and it's funny because I, I did watch Justin Bieber's documentary and he actually has two because <laughs> uh, he's rich and he can have that um, but I was super excited to try something like this and to see if I would have any uh, benefits come out of it and I, I did um, that one specifically I love the fact that it got the oxygen to my body and to my organs that it needed because there were times where I wasn't moving a whole lot and so you to move around in order to absorb your oxygen and get that intake and, and get your body going. But there are times where just I could not move at all. And I knew that this machine was going to do the moving for me, <laughs> if that makes sense. So it, and it did, it, it was awesome. So Missy, talk to us about what it was like during the dive and after the dive and what that physically was like for you and what symptom relief you may have felt during the first treatment you got. That actually, you, you put a face mask on and she zips you up into this tube and I feel like it's, it's very relaxing. I actually fell asleep my first time. <laughs> so um, that was my first time. And then the other times I'm actually on my phone doing Lyme advocacy work. So um, she's just like, oh gosh, I can't take you anywhere. Like you're just going to work no matter where I put you in this office. So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I had it very good. You feel the pressure in there. You breathe in the oxygen and you get it deep in your lungs and you just, you want to breathe that in. You want to take those deep, deep breaths because you know, you're going to benefit from them. Um, yeah. If, if you're afraid of small spaces, I don't recommend it whatsoever, but if you can tolerate that, it's so beneficial. So it's a pretty immediate symptom relief for you when you do it for the first time. Oh yeah, definitely. 
So I want to bounce back. You mentioned earlier Lyme rage and thankfully your faith helped you sort of overcome that and curb that. But describe for us what Lyme rage is like compared to your pre-sickness, just, you know, you didn't sleep well, you're frustrated, you're cranky, you're angry. How is Lyme rage different than the normal rage that a normal person would experience? Oh my gosh. It will feel like you want to like stab some. It's very odd, like very strange. I, I've never, I don't know. It's you get very short tempered. You are frustrated. I mean, it's already frustrating in itself to not be able to do the certain things that you used to do, like shower and eat normally as, as a person, as a human being. And so to, to not have control over your emotions is a very scary thing. Um, I know some people, have experienced like schizophrenia. And I was afraid of that at one point too. I was like, am I losing my mind? Like what's going on? Um, and, and to be, to, to lash out at somebody you love, who's close to you, that's, that's the hard thing for me to have to deal with. And, you know, and then apologize for it afterwards. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, <laughs> you know, but you kind of black out in those moments and you really don't have control over it. So what was that like for your family, your parents, your boyfriend, when they were seeing you so sick, getting treatment and then lashing out at them? Although you were able to control it somewhat, you still had, mm -hmm. I think, moments you said where you had this Lyme rage. So how, would you, how was your family and loved ones receiving this and reacting to you when you had Lyme rage? Yeah, thankfully, um, I, I didn't have, I mean, we were in the middle of a pandemic, so I was very limited in my social interactions. Um, but like over the phone and stuff, I would just very limit my conversations during those times. And, um, but the, the one who was closest to me was my boyfriend, and that was very hard. And he, thankfully, we have gone through this journey from the beginning. And so he kind of knows my mannerisms and, and where I was at and, and to the level of, you know, how far I could push it or what, what to stay away from me for how long and, and stuff like that. So, um, it, it was, it's very hard and, um, we've had discussions about it to where, you know, he just kind of handles it the best way that he, he knows how, and he understands that it's the disease. It's not necessarily me. And, um, and yeah. So putting this in perspective, you got sick when you were 27 and you got diagnosed just under a year ago when you were 33 and you're still 33 about to turn 34 in July, I believe. Now, to what I really want to learn more is, is you are one of the few people who have been able to maintain a successful romantic relationship with a partner, both pre and post diagnosis with chronic Lyme disease. And that is super rare. And that is a testament to you and your boyfriend. So tell us how you were able to make that work while being sick and not knowing what was wrong and then getting a diagnosis treating and also going through this whole horrible diagnostic journey and being able to communicate and have success in your in your romantic relationships yeah um honestly i could just credit my faith to that because it's very hard um to find someone on on the same level when it comes to your beliefs for one and then when you finally find that person it's like you want to cling on to them and then we, we understand those vows that we're going to be taking later on, you know, in sickness and in health. And that's a serious thing. Like you want a partner who's going to be there for you for the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And so we're going through those things without even being married. And um, we've invested a lot in our relationship. We believe in each other. He's pursued his dreams. I've supported him throughout that. And then to see me spiral, I'm, I can't even imagine from his perspective, like how he's even feeling. Um, it's very hard for me to, to, I don't like being the burden whatsoever, but he's never made me feel that way. So a lot of people that we talk to in the Lyme community are starting to get back out into the dating world, especially as the world is opening up again. 
And many of our people that we, we communicate with on a regular basis are now active in the dating world and having some trouble. So what advice would you give to them from somebody who's having success in a romantic relationship that you've learned that can help them be successful in their dating lives? Yeah, well, for one, I would say be careful <laughs> because you can spread this to other partners. And two, just be completely honest, um, especially when it comes to your communication. You need to be very precise about what you need and what you don't need. Um, and like for someone who's wanting to be involved in your life, they need to, to be very, you need to be very clear that this is a part of you. I mean, I know it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's your identity, but it is something that you're going to have to deal with on a daily basis. And that's the biggest advice I could give to someone is just be very transparent, especially when it comes to your partner with what you're dealing with. So another thing we get often is when somebody's going on a first date, and again, this is a personal opinion, obviously, there's no right or wrong answer here. Do you recommend they're upfront and, and express that they have chronic Lyme and that they're treating and that they're going to have ups and downs in their health journey? Or do you recommend that's something they hold off until a little bit later on down the road? And that's, I know, something that people struggle with on a regular basis in the chronic Lyme world. Yeah, no, I think you should disclose that very early. I think that's a very important thing to tell somebody. Um, I mean, I hate to use this as an example, but like, it, it would be like telling someone you have cancer. Like, you, that's a kind of an important thing. You need to know something like that. So, yeah. So now here we are, I think you're about 10 or 11 months into treatment and you're using the Rife machine, you're using homeopathic remedies and supplements. Specifically, mm -hmm. do you know what herbs and or homeopathic remedies that you're using with your naturopathic doctor? Ooh, that I do not know. <laughs> There's just so many. And I'm not even familiar with like, some of the terms, like some of the words I can't even pronounce, to be honest. So yeah, I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you more about that. No, it's fine. If, but from a from a an effectiveness standpoint, do you think that the herbs and the homeopathic drop, I'm assuming they're drops, are they are they tinctures that you put yeah. under your tongue? So yeah. they're, they're tinctures yeah. and potential herbal supplements. Do you think that they're playing a major role in your healing journey as well? Or do you think predominantly it's the rife machine getting you to, you know, to the end of this journey? I think dominantly it is the rife. Um, I will say for like supplements and herbs and, and, and tinctures and, and all that. Um, I feel like that's helped for like the things that have developed kind of like the H pylori and C difficile. Um, those have definitely assisted in that. But again, we, we, we attack it from all ends. We don't do the herbs for, for Lyme. We do just rife for the Lyme. And then also the rife we use, like if something comes up like C. difficile or anything like that, we're attacking it also with that and, and for parasites. But just to kind of like give it a little bit more oomph, if you say, uh, we're also doing the, um, the uh, sorry, Lyme brain, <laughs> the herbal supplements and the homeopathics as well. So it's kind of like assisting that we do those as assisting. We don't depend on the homeopathics, but we, ass we assist with the homeopathics. So give us an idea. I would like to ask this question of where you were, let's say last year before you got your diagnosis and how sick you were and something you're doing today that you never thought you could possibly be doing given how sick you were a year ago. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So, well, again, I'm eating solids and I am speaking about my journey. <laughs> journey. I, I never thought in my life that I would be able to become articulate again, which sounds really crazy. Like I'm, a, I love to be verbal. I love doing public speaking. And, um, that was really scary for me. Um, I'm sure a lot of Limeys go through this too. Like you can be very articulate, um, 
through words on a computer, written words, you can edit that, go back, you know, kind of like rewards and see where you want to say something. But when it comes to verbally expressing yourself, that's very difficult. And um, I'm doing it now as we speak, which is very, I'm kind of impressing myself at the moment. So I'm very thankful for that because <laughs> last year I, I did not see that coming. Well, before Rich picks up, I just want to say congratulations because I, I know what that's like and that's an amazing accomplishment. So congratulations and I'm just so happy for you and that's an amazing feat. And of yeah, course, listen, I think anyone listening to this podcast would be shocked that you were not articulate at some point because it's <laughs> certainly a strength that you've demonstrated during this entire podcast and you are you. you're beautifully describing this journey. And um, I want to take, take you to the sort of the last piece of this journey, which is um, can you talk to us about how it's been transformational for you? Meaning, how has the suffering that you've gone through allowed you to have a better understanding of how God has made you and what contributions you're now making that you wouldn't have been able to make had you not gone on this journey? Yeah, so this one's a little emotional for me because I I told this to my cousin actually yesterday is I'm kind of thankful that God chose me to go through this because he knew that I wasn't going to shut up about it. (laughs) And um, my goal now is to not have anybody else go through this hell. And if they do to have the correct information to get through it. Um, Like I mentioned in the beginning of all this, and you even mentioned my childhood, I wasn't informed from the beginning and that's a problem. And Lyme has been around for years and doing the research that I've done and just finding all of these different things and the controversy behind Lyme, it's scary. And that shouldn't even be our reality. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a very hard and rough journey um, in my suffering, but it's also been fulfilling with the people that I've met and the even meeting you guys on this podcast, which is crazy and incredible at the same time. Like I, I don't, believe in coincidences. I believe in predestination and, you know, God has a, a, a design plan from us for us from the beginning. And, um, he definitely knew that Lyme was going to be, um, in my journey. So I think it's really powerful that Lyme tried to shut you up, but you knew it was never going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I always say Lyme's dealing with the wrong person. That's for sure. So now let's talk to us about the final piece and the final question we ask of every one of our podcasts. You've had, you have this wonderful um, boyfriend um, who has been with you through this whole journey. And despite your, your physical changes and your emotional changes and Lyme rage, this guy's been with you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> if God forbid he came walking into the room you're in right now after this podcast and he had a tick biting him on his arm. What would you recommend that he do so that he wouldn't have to go on the horrific journey that you've had to go on? Well, immediately we would um, take the tweezers, remove it uh, correctly, because I know a lot of people like to twist and put essential oils and all that gunk on it. The wrong thing to do, obviously, and um, save it. And then we would be sending it out for testing and also him for testing, um, of course, we would go through IGNX to get that test done, and hopefully the test would come back negative. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Misty Rangel. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Misty, please visit our Instagram page at MistyAngel underscore 711. If you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of your post. Third, 
Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.